if you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor viewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, Mm. my favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my, my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want a wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing What's in the box? on every order. Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums, and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back, no questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's fiber skincare. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.com. 
Co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Yeah, so when I showed up, Blake was on the compound. Um, he was quarantining, likely. He, yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think Katie had met him. I, I don't know for sure. She had told me about it, and it was filmed. They didn't use it, but it was filmed. Um, you know, let's listen to the show. There's so many moving pieces, like um, you know, it is, like, and then with the stuff that happened, you know, the stuff that came out on the date with Thomas, obviously Katie's story, you know, you want to yeah. give that it's rightful air and oxygen and, and it's space for, you know, uh, Katie to be heard. And I think that was really brave of her. So it doesn't shock me with all that going on that, you know, we'll see Blake in next episode. Um, and yeah, like, you know, when I was on Caitlin season, um, there from the time I, you know, first said hi to, Caitlin to the time the guys met me was like two days in in real time. So you just got to find the right time to, you know, introduce Blake to America and the guys and have it make sense while also allowing some of these other storylines to play out. Welcome to game of roses. This is pace case. This is bachelor clues. And that clip you heard up top was Nick Vial. Talking about how Katie Thurston met Blake Moynes before the group date. So this is just proof that they're cutting this season all apart. They're playing things out of order. We don't know if she's pretending that she didn't meet Blake Moynes or more likely they just cut out any reference to it because they haven't yet slotted him in. But that was an interesting clip from Vial's appearance on the Us Weekly podcast. Here to make friends, he discusses a little bit about how he collaborated on building that group date as well, that it was somehow partially at least his idea to do the circle of pain. Mm, okay. <laughs> Maybe they cut around all Blake Moyne's mentions and like Boxman James PTC was like him meeting Blake Moynes. <laughs> they just had to cut all that out. <laughs> Release the Moynes tapes. Yeah, I'm curious to I see. Traumatized uh, when a new player entered the game. <laughs> we will see. I think Moines is going to show up this next week, and we'll see what he can do in game. But we just wanted to present that clip to you to show that it seems like some of the players, including Vial here, are being a little bit loose about production techniques and what the producers are doing in terms of constructing the show. I don't know if they approved him to say this shit on this podcast, but he said it. And I listened to it, and so did you. So (laughs) it's out there. Wild card. Bye, Al. Circle of Pain gave him a new boost of confidence. But welcome to the show this week. It's a Thursday show, so it's this week in Bachelor Nation, of course. So we're going to be giving you all the Bachelor Nation news, the parasocial plays of the week, our screams from the pit. We're going to be getting to those gains. 
But of course, before we do any of that, we're going to start today's show as we start all this week's In Bachelor Nation with a little segment where we discuss something that's happening in the broader news of the world, something far outside of Bachelor Nation, and then we tell you exactly how it is related to our beloved game. This is Game of Roses. State of the World. In honor of the historic unionization play that we saw in this week's big game, we are still reeling from it, or at least I am. It was like a dream come true. (laughs) The world, the nation is reeling from it. (laughs) They should be. It was fucking important. Today, in State of the World, we're discussing a landmark, unanimous ruling by the United States Supreme Court that the NCAA may no longer place limits on the benefits student-athletes receive for playing college sports. For those that don't know, the NCAA is the National Collegiate Athletic Association, and it's the governing body of all college sports in America. Up until this ruling, the NCAA prohibited college athletes from receiving benefits in the past, arguing that it somehow diminished the amateur status of college athletes. So this new ruling means that players could possibly be allowed to receive benefits that include cash or cash equivalent awards based on academics or graduation, and they can also be offered scholarships and undergraduate or graduate degrees and paid internships even after their college athletic eligibility has expired. Basically, the NCAA can't put any limits on education-based benefits anymore. And that might not seem like a big deal, but it is. Because it finally opens up the broader conversation about college athletes getting paid. These athletes are bringing in literally billions of dollars for the American collegiate system through their performances on fields and courts, and top college coaches are paid millions of dollars a year to coach these quote-unquote amateurs. But, and even outside the college system, all major media companies make billions of dollars from the broadcast of college sports. It's long been a hypocritical system that is obviously designed to exploit unpaid workers. Which brings us to how this all relates to our beloved game. Just like these student-athletes are paid nothing while they generate billions of dollars for a giant corporate greed machine, the players of our beloved game are paid zero dollars for the rookie season, while their performances generate hundreds of millions of dollars for the same corporate greed machines like ABC slash Disney, who owns ESPN. Much like college sports are an unpaid launching pad into professional sports, so too Has a player's rookie season in our beloved game become an initial launching pad into possible future paid appearances in paradise and maybe even as a lead? And just as our beloved game is struggling to adapt to the increasing influence of social media and SpawnCon, college sports are now attempting to deal with top-tier student-athletes using their parasocial fame for monetary gain. All in all, both college sports and The Bachelor are giant profit engines built on the back of free labor from the players. We are starting to see players in our beloved game come together for unionization plays like the one led this week by Mikey Planeta and like the parasocial unionization play of the women of season 25 in support of Rachel Lindsay. 
And these plays, of course, are steps in the right direction. But the players have more power than they realize, even with these plays. And there is an incredibly powerful unionization play that I think we need to see. So I'm just going to throw it out there. It would look a little something like this. Night one of either Bachelor or Bachelorette goes off without a hitch. All 30-ish players have been cast. They showed up. They did their limo exits. They did their cocktail party. Somebody gets the fimp. And we get to the rose ceremony. The producers at this point are locked into the production cost of at least the entire night one and the casting of that entire season. They are also locked into a time frame of airing that first episode. They shoot the show about two months out, three months out from when it's going to air traditionally. Like Bachelor, for example, shoots in October, November, and then it airs the first Monday of January. That's a very short amount of time. Certainly not enough time to recast an entire season. So, the rose ceremony begins. The players in this moment have the most leverage they are ever going to have collectively. And this is when the unionization play to end all unionization plays, or maybe to begin them, starts. (laughs) As the first name is called to receive the first flower, that player stops the proceedings. From his or her place on the risers, they would say, you know what, I'd love to accept the strows, but first, producers... All of us, all players need to talk to you. I know we signed a contract that says we're obligated to engage in this show and this game you've created for no pay, but (laughs) it's time to renegotiate that contract. Per the contract, each of us can refuse these roses. That's why we're asked, will you accept this rose? And right now, as it stands... All 30 of us are going to refuse the rose and the show will be over. Or you can pay us. The players could in that moment literally demand payment for their performance on this TV show that is making hundreds of millions of dollars for other people or walk from the show. You have that power collectively in that moment. All you have to do is take the power, and it's going to require somebody to galvanize all 30 players. I don't know who that would necessarily be, but it's going to require some special player to walk into one of these situations and say, here's how this is going to go. I'm going to get us fucking paid, and we're going to take control of this. It is possible to do it, and it doesn't break any contracts. You can't be sued by the show for that because you can refuse the rose. You're not obligated to stay there. You can leave at any time. And if you all threaten to leave simultaneously on night one, mm-hmm. th- there's nothing that could be done except to Okay, here's my you. question. Yeah. Presumably the first time they're all in the same place, the first time this can be done is at the cocktail party. This person would need to begin immediately convincing everyone. Yes. Secretly as well. What stops the... What stops the producers from just sequestering that person and a group of people as soon as they see that this starts happening? As I said, it's going to require a special player to be able to do this <laughs> because you're going to have to have basically individual conversations with each of these players 
Unbeknownst to the producers, this is going to have to be done through whispers, secret oh. meetings in the darkness. Whispers? Sure. <laughs> now look, there's another version of this as well. When you're in the limo, there's a camera person with you in the limo. So what you're doing is being seen by the control booth. You will be under scrutiny here, but you can start it there and you can maybe even conscript the other four people in the limo with you to kind of help you do this to be like look here's the plan when we get into the fucking house go start telling people that this is what we're going to fucking do if we're not all together this fails you have to be a completely united front the union must hold its line if you don't you're fucked I just feel like if the producers see one limo doing that that one limo doesn't make it to the mansion it goes off a cliff <laughs> they fucking orchestrate the limo blowing up. I look, I think it can be done. I And you need no you need no scabs. Let's say there's like a Captain Volcano out there who's like, I'll accept the rose. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. You can't have a scab. You can't have somebody who crosses that picket line. The union must hold. If it doesn't, this whole plan is fucked. But there is also a way to do it with no conversations. If you're just the first player no. to receive the first flower. You just do it. And maybe it's a blaze mm. of glory type thing. Maybe you get fucking eliminated right there. I'm not sure. But if it works, you've changed the trajectory of this game for the rest of history and potentially even for everyone on reality television. It's, it's well known. Most people on reality TV shows don't get paid shit unless you're famous, unless yeah. the show is a success, et cetera, et cetera. And in Bachelor, we know that your first season, your rookie season... You don't get paid anything. You get paid. We we learned on uh, Jason Tardick's podcast when he had Deanie Baby's Unger on as a guest. We learned that you do get paid for Paradise, not a lot, but you get a little something, and you can kind of negotiate payment for subsequent appearances if you come on in later seasons as a player. Certainly, the leads get paid if you agree to shave your facial hair. <laughs> exactly, you get a bonus. Yeah, but it's absurd to me. In the same way that college players not making money is absurd. That the players don't get paid for this, for their rookie season. Yeah. It's like without those players, there's no show. The leads are not ever what we're watching the show for. We are watching it to see who's making the best plays. It's always the players. And so uh, they should be getting paid something. And I know there's this secondary benefit of getting social media gain and all that, but that's on the player to learn how to cultivate that, navigate that system of finding yeah. somebody to manage your spawn con and all that kind of shit. The show isn't helping them in that. And not all of the players get that. Only the top four to six. Right. So in top 10. In the main cast, or in the two main games, Bachelor and Bachelorette, the only people who are getting paid on that screen are your lead and your hosts. Yeah. It seems like a place for that is ripe for a guild. I agree. And I'm just saying something like this is possible. Again, it's going to require a special player or players to be able to pull this off. But this is something you can do. If you're listening to this show and you're going to be on some future season and this appeals to you, start working it out. You know, figure out how to do it. I mean, is Michelle Young's season going to be a bubble season? Do we know? I don't believe it is, but I don't know for sure. I think you have an even stronger case to be made for a bubble season because they have to quarantine everyone for two weeks or whatever. Or yeah. Four days, whatever. Supposedly. I don't think that's happening anymore. <laughs> well, I 
think we've only scratched the surface of unionization plays. So I'm looking forward to what the future holds. As am I. And I think these unionization plays within game, I'm not even talking about one where you're like trying to get money from the producers. What Mike Planeta did and what all of them did to get rid of Carl Smith, that's the type of shit that just gets me incredibly excited for where we're going in our beloved game. The second audience is really taking control and becoming something far more important than just the other players that you're there with. It's now they have the power to get rid of somebody because I've been reading a lot about this. I've been getting a bunch of DMs. There's a moment when Katie Thurston goes to Caitlin and Tasha and says, I wanted to keep Carl. And Caitlin says, this is your choice. They don't get to decide this or something. She says something about they don't make this choice. It's implied she's talking mm-hmm. about the other players. But the way she does something with her hand, which kind of points backwards behind her, there is conjecture that she is talking about the producers in that moment. They are the producers. Okay. <laughs> that Caitlin is staging some kind of a, a minor coup against the production what? as well. Yes. it's Look, it's out there. People are talking about it. I I'm mean, not saying it's true. I think most of the unionization plays are in stark contrast to what the producers want. I mean, let's just talk about the, the unionization play by the season... Uh, 25 players the that in some ways I mean there was a long complicated timeline of what has happened uh, and who is to blame for DLH leaving but that includes those players unionization plays it includes uh, Tasha and Claire's players unionization plays it includes Katie Thurston's tweet. It includes Michael Strahan, <laughs> etc. All of this is basically setting up this idea of who actually has control of the game. Up until this point, players have had no control. It was all producer manipulation and the network and studio mm-hmm. executives deciding what the game was going to be, how it was going to be presented, who the leads were going to be, and what they would represent to certain areas of the country and all that. We have seen these players start to take more and more control over of this thing that they are building. That to me is the part that is like, it's so overwhelmingly obvious. The show doesn't exist without the players. The structure, yes. Mike Fleiss came up with the original structure. It's been toyed with and experimented with over the course of 19 seasons to get us where we are now in terms of the game structure and what the producers do in terms of manipulations and augmenting it and whatever. Seasons? What's that? 25 seasons? What did I say? 20? 19. 19 years, sorry, is what I meant. Oh. <laughs> but now we're starting to see finally these players are like, you know what? This is fucked up. Some of the things the producers are doing are fucked up. And we're going to stand united yeah. against it. Everything in terms of like how they treat race, misogyny, all these things, they are starting to take stands against that now. And we'll get to some of that in the news as well. But one of the mm-hmm. other things is the financial disparity. Players got to get paid. You're taking two months of your fucking life off from your job. You're paying for all your own clothes to come into this unless you can get them sponsored by some brand, which is not usual some players can do it but like most can't your wardrobe all everything that goes into this and you're not making a dollar out of it unless 
you accrue some giant Instagram following and then that's on you to figure out how to monetize yeah. that and everything. It's crazy. And you're being to me. paid not by ABC, who's making money off of you. Exactly. As Ivan Hall famously said, there's power in numbers. And those numbers got to be on the bottom of a check with your name on it. And that is going to wrap up our state of the world this week. Thank you for indulging our conversation. We hope we get to see some more unionization coming very shortly. But now we're going to move on to some other numbers. The numbers that define the ratings for our beloved game and all the Instagram growth that we have seen this week. This is This Week in Games. As we know, the numbers for this season have been, how do I put this? Abysmal. The season opener was the worst in the history of the show, and last week saw a significant decline from week one, but this week, the numbers have at least stabilized. In the 18 to 49 demographic this week, pulled in a .85, which actually matched the same rating from last week, and the raw viewer numbers actually saw a slight half percent bump from 3.321 to 3.343 million. But again, as always, despite these horrifically no- <laughs> low numbers, The Bachelorette still dominated Monday Night Network TV. Just for some context, Hell's Kitchen on Fox had 2.5 million raw viewers to The Bachelorette's 3.343 million, and they pulled in a 0. 0.6 to The Bachelorette's 0. 0.85. NBC had the U.S. Olympic Trials which beat The Bachelorette in raw numbers with 3.8 million viewers, but only pulled in a 0.6 rating in that coveted 18 to 49-year-old demographic. CBS had The Neighborhood, Bob Hart, Abishola, and NCIS New Orleans, which pulled in 3.44 million, 3.04 million, 2.5 million respectively, and a 0.54 and 3 rating. (laughs) That's what network TV is now. No one's watching it. Astounding. It's unfucking believable how far I everything has really slid. Followed, yeah, I haven't really followed network TV ratings since we worked on Bad Judge, and I remember just watching the the cancellation bear every week, like trying to guess whether the show would be canceled based on the ratings. And all of our numbers were bigger than this. We had double these ratings. <laughs> this is twenty fourteen. 2014 we had double these ratings and our show was destroyed in one season they were like yank fuck that these shows are hit (laughs) fucking shows this is incredible to me it's like you know we talk about this every week but it's just network tv is dying i can't believe bob hart abishola is still on the air i remember seeing a promo for that and i was like this is the most offensive promo i've ever seen for a show it's chuck lorry who is a hit maker like every show he turns out stays on forever and i mean fuck it beat NCIS New Orleans. I didn't even know that was a show. <laughs> There's so many NCISs and all that shit. But anyway, that uh, those are the ratings. That's where we're at. Still terrible ratings. Still winning every Monday night. <laughs> still destroying these shows. I mean, let's talk about some more important numbers. Those in the social media world. Katie Thurston, our crown. Last week on Twibbon, she was at 665K. She stayed solid in gains, accruing 28K once again this week since that point, bringing her to 693K total, knocking on the door of the 700K club. 
I predicted Thurston would cross the million threshold by the end of the regular season, while Clues predicted it would happen during the playoffs. As the weeks go by, we will eventually come to see whose prediction was more accurate. I'm hoping those numbers take off. (laughs) I think it's going to be whatever the week is where she like storms off and is like, get me a plane out of here. I think that's going to be the million week. Mm, That sounds like it's playoffs, but I think it is as well. Uh, She's gained 2.4 K this week on TikTok. So she's at 341.2 K total TikTok followers. And now for the top five Instagram gains for the players of Katie Thurston's 17th Bachelorette season. The gold medal in gains this week, once again, goes to Jersey marketing sales rep Greg Grippo. He gained 22K this week, a dip from his 48K last week, bringing his total to 134K total. Grippo gained more than everyone else this week, despite barely appearing in the episode, except for his Rosen Pocket, Knock Knock Shy style, How You Doing? Will Grippo be stopped? Now, we know that Grippo is about to come up against the juggernaut, Blake Moynes, in this next episode. I'm yeah. very curious to see who can pull the most gains once he is in game. But the number two spot, that is the silver medal in gains this week, goes to a newcomer. In the charts, Akron, Ohio, business owner slash widower, Michael Alio. He gained 19,473 followers this week, bringing him to 22.7K total for his double MVP status, his package deal, his heartbreak PTC, pulling tears from the first and fourth audiences, and his one-on-one rose performance. Huge. He's close to the Grippo's numbers on that one. He was the star of the show. That is what's crazy to me, though. He fucking is getting the same (laughs) amount as a guy who had half of the screen time of the the actual game document. Greg Grippo had maybe like a minute on screen, and he got the same gains. Runoffs. The bronze medal in gains once again goes to San Diego gym owner Michael Mikey Planeta, a.k.a. Virgin Mike. He gained 7.6K followers, bringing him to 20.1K total for his Bachelor Clues play of the game of the unprecedented mid-rose ceremony reverse general tattle unionization play to target Carl. He guarded and protected Thurston's heart, as well as his continued medal status on the gains charts. Congratulations to Virgin Mikey. And fourth place this week goes to San Diego insurance agent and professional rivalry player Aaron Clancy. He gained 6,738 new followers, bringing him to 13. 15.2k total for playing his father's stroke slash heartbreak PTC on the Circle of Pain group date. His darkly colorful Stephen King-esque narration, his amateur psychological diagnosing of Thomas's pathology, and his time copying. Fifth place in gains goes to the gains chart topper who never gets any screen time, Boston real estate agent Christian Smith. He gained a 6.7k bringing him to 25.9K total this week for his hot tub guy chat time and for just generally smoldering in the background of many shots. 
This one is very confusing to me. This man has done nothing yes. in the game. He's got no. 25,000 followers. He got 6,000 followers this week? For fucking what? How is he in this chart? I believe this is based solely on physical appearance. <laughs> what the from fuck? From me scrolling Twitter. Holy shit. All right. Fair enough. Well, you know, you got to use whatever you got at your disposal. Honorable mentions this week. Go to Nashville math teacher Connor B, a.k.a. The Catman. He gained 6.4 thousand this week, bringing him to 20.3K total for his public LL1, addiction, and heartbreak PTC. Finally feeling seen by Thurston, his fake firework gesture play, and finally getting a well-deserved group date rose after putting in work week after week with his shy style techniques. Another honorable mention goes to good guy John Hersey, gaining 5,215 followers, bringing him to 14.1K for his swan song performance, getting the house to give him applause on his way out the door. So that leaves us with the top five overall chart for Wednesday, June 23rd, as we are recording. Still at the top is a man who has not yet set foot in the game, Blake Moines, who I'll remind you, I predicted will be our next Bachelor way back before Claire and Tasha's season began, and I made this prediction just by looking at his Instagram. Moines has 147,000 followers at the top of that chart. Grippo's number two with 134K. Carl Smith still bringing up third place with 40.4K, and it should be noted, he gained zero followers this week Nothing. for his <laughs> terrible second audience performance. Christian Smith has 25.9K for his smoldering good looks. Michael Alio has 22.7K. He is the only new addition. He took out the Catman. Connor B. Sorry, Catman. By the way, it should be noted, Moines keeps gaining like 5K every week just for being in the promos. This is more than Tasha and Caitlin. It's an anticipation game. Shocking. I remember Heather Martin was starting to get anticipation gains. She didn't even get in the fucking game. All we got to see her do was spin a pizza box on her head and then get cut out of the women tell all completely, and she still saw gains. By the way, Tasha has been remaining steady at 1.8 million followers, and Bristow is still at 1.9. Just knocking on the door. I really thought she was going to get it this season. I, I thought so too. Now I think neither one of them will. If they haven't seen at least a couple thousand gain, which they haven't, They're, they basically have had no change in their Instagram gains. It's gone up. It's fluctuated a little bit, but not enough to ever crack into 2 million. I don't think they're going to do it. Maybe they'll give them a little bit at some point, and that'll do it. I don't know. I think if they, if they have a, a chance to do it, it's going to be at the um, Mentel All. Because they'll be, I, mm. I, if they're hosting it, I don't even know how they're putting that show together. Right. But if it's them, they'll be a little more central in the entire show. They'll be a little bit more of a character. Mm. I think that could help get them the bump. And maybe even at the finale. Because there's certain things, at least in the, the structure of the ceremony of the show, that once you get into the finale, like somebody has to greet the final two players walking up as they're going to walk the path of pain. I don't feel like they can just have Katie Thurston there and the guys just appear. That piece of the ceremony seems to me to be ironclad. Oh, I'm sure they'll be at the Path of Pain. Can't be empty. Time will tell. But <laughs> those are all the gains this week. And now it's time to move on to all of the most important happenings in the nation. 
This episode is brought to you by Gartner. Are you making the right decisions for your business? Transform your organization through Gartner's Business and Technology Conference Series. You'll be guided by experts and gain access to a peer network to help you make faster, smarter decisions. Use code SPOTIFY for a discount on standard registration rates. Experience Gartner conferences at gartner.com slash conferences. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Football is back. And the best bet you can make is downloading the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It doesn't matter if you're new to gambling or an old pro. FanDuel has something for everyone. And as an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you know your bets are safe. There's also never been a better time to use FanDuel because right now you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. You can even turn a small wager into a big payday with a same-game parlay bet. Just sign up with the promo code SPOTIFY to place your first bet risk-free on FanDuel Sportsbook. Download FanDuel today. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is... Bachelor Nation News. First up, in Nation News, we are talking about the darkness, the Dark Lord himself. He makes news this week as new reporting is surfacing about his big hush money payout. Initial reports of Harrison's settlement with Warner Brothers and ABC put the number in the mid-eight figures, leading us all to believe he must have had some incredibly damning dirt on his longtime co-workers. But Variety has amended that final figure to a number closer to $9 million. Still no, sum, still no small sum of money, but it's a far cry from the initial 25 to $30 million that was being thrown around last week. Does this new, smaller, multi-million dollar settlement mean perhaps he didn't <laughs> have the dirt we thought? Is this the standard amount of money these giant media companies are willing to pay to just make him leave them alone? And most importantly, is $9 million enough for Harrison and Zima to live on in Texas for the rest of their lives, or will Harrison have to get another job? And who will hire him if not the Texas state legislature? Trump TV. What, has this affected at all how you feel about the possible dirt he has? That the money number is Absolutely. coming way down? I mean, how much does he make as the host of The Bachelor? Like $5 million a year? So this is basically like less than two years? I bet he makes around a million for everything to host every show. What? Yeah. So in 2011, TV Guide reported that Harrison made 60,000 per episode. And how many episodes are there? There's 12 of Bachelor and Bachelorette, 24, and then I think there's eight of Bachelor in Paradise. So he's looking at... 12 of The Bachelor, 13 of The Bachelor, 13 of Bachelor in Paradise, which meant if Harrison made 60K, his 2019 Bachelor salary would have been 2280000 It's also likely his pay per episode has increased since 2011, hmm. which means his yearly salary should be in the several million right now. Celebrity Net Worth reports that his yearly salary was $8 million, which would mean that he received around 200000 per Bachelor episode in 2021. 
This is oh, all according Jesus. to stylecaster.com. Okay. So he's making a fuckload of money. For some reason in my mind it was five, but that nine million payout is maybe like a couple years worth of salary for him. It's a fuck you. <laughs> yeah. It means his dirt is just tank tapes. Yeah, it, it means that he probably doesn't have the deep dark stuff. These are all estimates, so but I don't think yeah. I would be surprised if he was making less than five million a year. Because mm-hmm. he's an EP as well. Yeah. I mean, until this year, they really needed him to come back. Look at how they're floundering trying to replace him. Speaking of trying to replace Dark Lord Harrison, shy style pioneer Wells Adams is in the news this week. The seventh place finisher from Bachelor Season 12 will have an expanded role on the upcoming season of Bachelor in Paradise. Adams has served as the Paradise bartender for the past three seasons of the show, ever since he touched sand as a player way back in season three. But this season, he will be joining the likes of David Spade, Lance Bass, Lil Jon, and Titus Burgess as a guest host for at least one episode. And the Hollywood Reporter is reporting that Adams will also be presiding over the Paradise Rose Ceremonies. Is this a test run for a more permanent role as the main game host? Back in February of 2020, Adams interviewed excommunicated host Chris Harrison on his own podcast, Wellscast. The two discussed Harrison's work ethic and career, and Adams openly said he admires what Harrison has been able to accomplish and hoped to one day do something similar. Time will tell if this comes to fruition for Adams. We'll know as soon as he takes over Manly Bands. That's the truest sign. <laughs> Whoever holds the manly yeah. band holds the game. Yes. I'm curious to see what Wells Adams can do at these rose ceremonies. Wells Adams is definitely a shy style player. He's also kind of funny and just like a, a happier type guy. The Dark Lord. He has a radio DJ background. Right. And that's actually, you know, Brian Seacrest had that. He's one of the most successful hosts of all time. I do think there is something missing. There's a gravitas missing from a Wells Adams. The rose ceremonies, I mean, Paradise is, is a little jokey anyway, but the rose ceremonies always have to have, or at least they had in the past, they had to have a certain weight to them, that these decisions are conveyed as important. These relationships are real. When you've got a guy, I mean, I remember when Wells Adams was doing his little puppet shows <laughs> with people in the bartender role. Do you remember that on Bachelor uh-huh. in Paradise? I think that was five, maybe. Uh, with scallop fingers. Do you remember when he was on a a group date and he was trying to get his first kiss when he, on his rookie season and he was failing miserably? Yeah, I made like a thousand like memes a about water. Yeah, him not being able to kiss and figuring out how to do it. And I mean, that's shy style. He's like, I don't know when I should kiss her and all that. It's very shy style. I didn't even know he had a podcast to be honest. I think it's still in operation. I think he does it every week, and it's just interviews with people. This one, by the way, was good. If you have a chance to go back and listen to it, February 2020, it's very eye-opening about Chris Harrison's entire career, where he went to college, who his mentors were, how he got the job as the host of The Bachelor, that it was something he didn't even, it was just like an audition. He was like, oh, whatever. Fuck it. It's just going to be some like shitty one-off show, but it'll get me in the door to maybe hosting other network TV shows. That's what he thought. And then obviously it became what it became. Yeah, we'll see what... What doors he's able to get into now? Ben Shapiro's network. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. He starts a Bachelor podcast, a Bachelor recap podcast on Ben Shapiro's network. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that would be hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> it would be so funny if DLH's recap podcast only talks about the host and he doesn't talk about anything else that happens and he just like, evaluates like their dark touch and their tam sigs and stuff. It's just like a 10-minute thing. <laughs> we open today's yeah. show by talking about Tasha Adams ineffective dark touch now listen this is how you do a dark touch our next piece of bachelor nation news is a blast from the past season nine's villain and pioneering princess player erica rose is in the news this week on the unpopular podcast hosted by jacques peterson rose recounted her time in the Bachelor Pad spinoff of the main game. She specifically recalled the challenge that required male players to throw paint-filled eggs at the female players they found to be the least attractive, who were all blindfolded and made to wear bikinis. In an ITM during that season, Rose said she was, in quotes, not easily offended and, in quotes, didn't mind getting eggs on me as long as it doesn't get in my hair. But on Wednesday of this week, she revealed that producers told her to say these things to alleviate their potential liability. She also, more importantly, said that Chris Harrison himself told her she had no choice but to participate in the event or she would be eliminated from the show. Rose felt that with recent events surrounding Harrison's exit from the franchise, now was the time to tell this story. (laughs) This Bachelor Pad Challenge, holy shit. That's going to be a... That's going to be a trip when we rewatch it. It's interesting that she has this coming out. Rachel Lindsay has her article coming out. It's like players are feeling liberated by DLH's exit to come to be more open and honest about some of these things. That's great. I'm glad Erica Rose has been able to, she talked about in the article, going to therapy. And now she has her own law firm, which I thought was cool. Yeah, congrats to Eric Rose. She was definitely that season's main villain. There ain't no two ways about that. She played a villain role to a T. It wasn't just a villain edit. Like, she was playing it. She was kind of a Victoria Larson before, you know, 10 years before Victoria Larson. She came in with a tiara. Oh, I feel like she was at Corinne Olympios. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she was a little bit of both of them, maybe. But... Highly recommend go back and watch season nine if you haven't seen anything about Erica Rose or that Bachelor Pad season that she was on as well. And speaking of tell-alls, we saved the biggest news in the nation for last this week. We are, of course, talking about Rachel Lindsay's absolutely mandatory article for Vulture that came out this week. It is quite possibly the most important piece of writing in the history of the game with revelations about not only behind the scenes casting practices, but also Lindsay's relationship with the toxic elements of the fan base that the producers have purposefully helped to foster. The timing of the article's release seems a little curious, given that she has a book coming out in January, and it seems that this article could have been a chapter in that book or used in a more timely fashion to promote the book. But nonetheless, it is a scathing indictment of the problematic elements of the show and her treatment by cast and producers alike during her tenure as both a player on season 21 of The Bachelor and as the 13th Bachelorette. 
It felt almost as though this was her final engagement with the franchise, one last revelation about some of her behind-the-scenes experiences before she moves on from the nation and into the next phase of her life. There has been some speculation online about the possibility of the show suing her for revealing too much behind-the-scenes information, but it's likely that Lindsay and possibly James are uniquely immune for legal recourse, being the only two black leads in the history of the show. Suing the first black bachelorette for telling her truth about her own experience could possibly be a PR nightmare so damaging that the show would end. But again, this article is astounding. We cannot thank Rachel Lindsay enough for everything she's done for our beloved game and for this crucial piece of writing. Holy shit, I couldn't I couldn't believe everything that was in this article. I mean, I could believe it because it, a lot of it is stuff that we have sort of mused about happening, that she was purposely cast on next season to be the first Black Bachelorette, etc. It's heartbreaking, all of the shit that she has had to deal with. And I don't know, I started thinking about it. I was like, I could see Rachel Lindsay also running for office and being the most successful bachelor player of all time. And then our Caitlin Bristow, Nick Vial goat conversation will go out the window and it will yeah. certainly be Rachel Lindsay. I think so too. I look into a future for Rachel Lindsay when she's like 50 and I see something similar where she has moved out of entertainment entirely and she's affecting like real shit in our country in some way. I mm-hmm. think that is possible for her, especially because she's a fucking lawyer. It's like, or, or was a lawyer. She at least has a law degree and passed a bar and practiced for a little while. She has that background that I think does help blend her legitimacy in a way most other Bachelor players don't have. I mean, Dorfman was a, Andy Dorfman was also a lawyer, but you know, when you look at things like Ben Higgins running for office, it doesn't quite have the same like legitimacy no. that a Rachel Lindsay running for office would. And she's obviously had so much experience at all these other platforms, podcasts, and hosting on TV and she's got a book coming out. And she's been she's been tested way more than Ben Higgins. I mean, Rachel Lindsay has been through the fucking shit. Yeah. Like the shit storm of hate is extraordinary. So, I mean, she might not even want to <laughs> open herself up to more of this. I saw that her, you know, she still has to turn off the comments on a lot of her posts on Instagram. Including one we will get to in parasocial plays. My favorite thing in the article, potentially selfishly, is just what you're talking about, that she corroborated something we have talked about since day one on the show, that she was cast specifically mm-hmm. on Nick Vial's season to become the first Black Bachelorette. And she essentially says insiders at the show have told her that, that was completely true. Yeah. She also corroborated uh, Lee Garrett was cast on her season purposely because he was racist to try and stoke that Mm -hmm. racism story. So all the stuff that we've kind of been talking about over the course of our show, she's lending legitimacy to that. But this article was just, it really was fucking mind-blowing to me. We haven't seen anything like this ever. And I I got a definite feeling that this was the last time we're going to see it from her. And that made me a little sad because I like that her voice is still in the Bachelor world, that she is able to still say these things. But we wish her luck. I, I do feel like this was her, her final engagement with but the nation. There's got to be stuff in the book, though. I doubt that's everything. See, I don't know. 
it's like what else could be in the book this it felt to me like this article was a chapter from that book and if that's not the case it might be i don't know it's not like she's not gonna talk about bachelor nation in that book or would she I don't know. I don't know what the fuck is in that book. It's all about being a lawyer and dancing with your vacuum cleaner. Hang on. That's what she did in her intro package. Let me see what the title of the book is. The book published by Penguin is called Miss Me With That. Hot takes, helpful tidbits, and a few hard truths. A candid... A candid, witty, and inspiring collection of essays from The Bachelor's first black bachelorette, exploring everything from relationships to love to politics and race. Extra correspondent and higher learning co-host Rachel Lindsay originally rose to prominence, blah, blah, blah. For the first time, Rachel opens up about what it meant to be the first black lead on ABC's hit show and reveals everything about her life off camera from her childhood growing up in The Source, Dallas, Texas, as the daughter of a U.S. district judge to her disastrous dating life prior to going on The Bachelor to her career in law, her evolving female friendships, and her decision to become a reality TV contestant. So yeah, I guess she is going to be talking about The Bachelor in it. You know, we talked about it being weird timing with the book, but her book is on pre-sale right now. But that article doesn't link to it or anything. It, the article was not There's promotion. a picture of it in the article. Oh, is there? Like in the sidebar. Yeah. Like that doesn't feel yeah. right to me. You know, it should have like that should have been straight up top. with that icon. <laughs> <laughs> it's subliminal marketing. <laughs> anyway, this was a fantastic article. If you have not read it, please go read it. It's a little long, but read it all. Every fucking word of it matters and is incredibly important. And before we wrap up Bachelor Nation News... We want to wish a very happy birthday to one of the co-hosts of the current season of The Bachelorette on June 19th. The goat herself, Caitlin Bristow, turned 36. Happy birthday to Caitlin. 36 is a great year. It's when I blew my ACL and had to have surgery. And now, let's move on to... Flinted. <laughs> and now let's move on to... All of the plays are players are making off of that physical field and in the digital field, in the only field that matters, the primary field where everything <laughs> real now happens. This is the parasocial play, 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 play of the week. As always, there was a wealth of great parasocial plays this week. And at the top of the list, while not necessarily a player, the Bachelorette Instagram account issued an important proclamation from the game itself this week. They posted an image of Katie Thurston with former crown Nick Vial with the caption, Two Goat Emojis, officially acknowledging that Nick Vial is indeed a goat. The post has 26.4 thousand likes and 155 comments. And if the game itself recognizes the goat status here, must we all not do the same? The game means goat in a different way, I would argue. <laughs> what? What does that mean? Unless you it? forget, during the beginning of COVID, they... <laughs> 
they put on television horrible, horrible episodes. They called the goat episodes the greatest of all time, and Nick Vial's season was among them. I rest my case. <laughs> you can't rest, rest it on what? I'm resting it on Fallacy? the official game, calling him the greatest player of all time here. That's what that is. They said two goats, Thurston and Vial. There's many goats, according to them. There's two, according to them. I'm not saying Katie Thurston is the goat. I don't agree with that quite yet. We have to see what she can do in this season. But I agree with Nick Vial. I mean, this is obviously a subjective if it's choice. two goats, that inherently means that it's not the greatest of all time. There's more than one. Male and female. It's not singular. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> we shall see. <laughs> you know, Bristol's at 1.9K. Thurston's knocking on the door at 700K. She's got, she's got some ways to climb. I agree with you. She's got a lot to do. She doesn't yet have a podcast network why, like the other goat in the picture with her. Anyone can have a podcast network. Tell me how to do it, please. Just declare it. I'm, what? We should just declare it. <laughs> we don't have I one, I declare though. we have a podcast network. <laughs> and it's just our show? Yeah. <laughs> podcast network of one show. All right. Fuck it. Well, you know, we have a couple shows. We have Charles's Journal. That's in uh-huh. there. We have your songs. I feel like that's a different podcast. <laughs> uh. It's all. It's a podcast network <laughs> in one podcast. Speaking of... Uh, Parasocial goats. Parasocial queen and Ari Leyendijk's second choice for wife, Lauren Leyendijk, made an iconic play this week, which was nothing less than we expected in the week after she brought the Leyendijk twins into this world. She and Ari announced the names of the twins via a simple, perfect Instagram post. It is a single image of the twins in matching onesies lying side by side, holding hands and facing each other. The caption reads, Senna James and Lux Jacob Whiteheart. This post has a staggering 338,000 likes and 3,747 comments. Talk about engagement season. It was brought to my attention by the internet.com that Senna is the name of a laxative. Was this a parasocial error? I'm not sure. And Lux is the name of a hotel. Oh. Your goat, Caitlin Bristow, issued a strong parasocial... Oh, how dare you. (laughs) What do you mean, how dare I? That's the truth. You changed my copy. (laughs) Oh, sorry. The goat herself. I'm going to read it as you've written it here. The goat herself... (laughs) Caitlin Bristow issued a strong pair of social play this week via a millennial social media app called Twitter. She gets almost constant hate, judgment, and people telling her what to do with her physical appearance, and she responded to a random tweet that read, Can anyone tell me what's different about at Caitlin Bristow look? I can't put my finger on it. Bristow responded, Six years since I was on the show, brow lift, brow microblading, Got my teeth bonded, some filler in my lips, aging, darker hair, and I finally learned how to contour. Oh, and I put on some weight. Bicep curl emoji. The tweet has 10.2 thousand likes. The shit people say about my goat, the objective goat, and commenting on her body, saying what she should do with her body is so, so fucked up. 
I saw that this was on Reddit and they had to lock the comments because people were just piling on nasty shit. It's horrifying. It's absolutely crazy. And, you know, I think the women players of our beloved game have to deal with this much more than the guys do. And it's just fucking insane. Yes. <laughs> At this point in the fucking world, are we not all able to govern what we want to look like to the best of our abilities and everybody else can fuck off? Thurston, actually, we didn't, we didn't have this here, but she did an Instagram story this week where she was setting up boundaries for her DMs and said if people comment on her looks or her clothes, she's now blocking them. Hmm. I was like, good for you. Yeah. Brian Abbasolo issued a pair of social play this week in support of his wife, Rachel Lindsay, and her New York Magazine Vulture article using a headline that mischaracterized Lindsay's article. He posted an Instagram story of white text on all black that read, very disappointed with the editors of at New York Mag, who chose that headline for Rachel's piece. You tried to relegate a black woman's insightful and honest truth into clickbait. Totally unprofessional. Do better. I love you at the Rachel Lindsay heart emoji. Abbasolo consistently does well with his supportive parasocial plays. Everything you want from a 4TRR ring winner. The original cover was Rachel Lindsay's face and the headline, Oops, I Blew Up the Bachelor. And they have since changed it to No Roses Left to Burn. I mean, he's right here. That is just complete clickbait. She didn't blow up anything. Yes. Chris Harrison blew up the fucking Bachelor. The producers blew up the fucking Bachelor when they cast Rachel Kirkconnell, and then, oh shit, she won the ring. I guarantee you, especially after Rachel Lindsay's article corroborates that they cast Lee Garrett on her season basically for a racist subplot, you don't think they're going to fucking do that again with the first Black Bachelor? Of course they are. Kirkconnell was meant to be that because she comes from a sundown town, and they were like, well, we'll see what happens. And then, oops. She wins the whole fucking show. Now you got to do some fucking damage control. And it turns out the dude you got doing that damage control (laughs) is just doing more damage with no control. So (laughs) he blew up the fucking bachelor. Make no mistake. Yes. That's the problem is that this clickbaity headline is playing into exactly what all of the MAGA DLH stands are commenting on Rachel Lindsay's Instagram all the time, sending her hate. They're like, you ruined the show. You got Chris Harrison fired, et cetera. It's like, no, Chris Harrison got himself fired. Absolutely. Rachel Lindsay issued her own parasocial play around the headline topic. She posted all white text to a black background on her main grid reading. I worked with New York Magazine very closely on a cover feature where I was given the opportunity to tell my story and share my experience with the Bachelor franchise. It was deeply personal, but I felt it was important to share. While it was a very collaborative experience, they decided to misrepresent me with that headline that was chosen for the cover. Those are not my words, nor are they a reflection of how I feel. In fact, it is in stark contrast to the context of the piece. For me, it is very disappointing and disrespectful that the very notion I was trying to refute was used against me by the publication for a clickbait headline. My truth and my thoughts are told on the inside of the magazine, which I am very proud of and hope you will all read. The post has 43.3k likes and she has turned off the comments. It's just like it makes your fucking blood boil that these media companies are just like, thanks, we'll take the thing you made and just do whatever the fuck we want with it. Ha 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 ha. And it's the same thing that happened to her in The Fucking Bachelor. 
They can edit you to make you look like whatever you want, whether it's a piece of video, audio, or a thing you've written. They slap a fucking title over it that's going to get people excited or mad or whatever they're going for just to get them to click, as they're saying. I mean, it's literally a quote from DLH on the actual show. Congratulations, Claire. You blew up The Bachelorette. Yeah, they're putting DLH's words as essentially the headline (laughs) of this Rachel Lindsay article that is saying... Yeah. It was all his fault. I mean, it's like we're living in 1984. This is doublespeak. So I'm glad that she said this. And they did change the, the headline as a result of all of yeah. this. Uh, Rachel Lindsay's posts, Brian's posts, and all the internet backlash that happened as a result of it. So at least there was some accountability. While these were all strong plays, there was one that stood out amongst them all. Our parasocial play of the week goes to former crown Juan Pablo Galvez. How did he pull this off? Well, he made an outstanding TikTok video with his daughter, Camila, where the two of them have a conversation back and forth. She's posted this on her account, Camila Galvez. They both lip sync to the infamous audio of Galvez breaking up with Claire Crawley in his season finale. Galvez plays himself and his daughter dramatically plays Claire Crawley, emotionally telling him off and saying that she would never want her children to have a father like him, while Galvez repeatedly says, okay, okay, in response. One of my favorite fucking moments in the entirety of the fucking Bachelor game, by the way. The video is a truly outstanding meta-parasocial play, although Camila's numbers could be better. 440 likes and 5.7k views, but this TikTok is mandatory viewing because it's letting us into something that we've really never seen before here. Many players in our beloved game have children at this point. Some of them had children when they came in, like Juan Pablo Gaves. He was a package deal. Some have not, obviously, but they now have them. They have families of their own. They have children. These children are going to grow up. They're going to be able to watch their parents' seasons. They're going to be able to see this stuff. And once they start getting into like adolescent age where they're a little bit better able to understand what the fuck is actually going on, they can have reactions to it. And here we see Juan Pablo's daughter, Camila, has a fucking hilarious reaction to it where she's lip syncing yes. Claire Crawley's condemnation of her own father on that season. And it just starts to beg the question, how is all of this going to affect the next generation? She, how old's Camila? 12, maybe? Oh, she is 12. So she's 12 years old. She's getting to that age where it's like she wants to get on TikTok. Her dad is successful parasocially from being on The Bachelor. She's going to try to like make something out of that a little bit. But we're going to see more and more of these Bachelor players' kids coming into their own age and understanding like, oh shit, my mom or dad was on this season or that season. They're doing all these fucking things. And they're going to start having their own parasocial reactions to what their parents have done in game. I think this is the first of many types of plays like this that we're going to start seeing. And this one I thought was just brilliantly done by her. Brilliantly done. They received their own Us Weekly article um, this week for this play. I uh, it truly I loved it. It was charming, it was cute, it was you know, it helps alleviate some of the complicity of like 
feeling like how did the daughter react and at least in this it seems like she's taken it lightheartedly yeah it was great and supports her dad so congratulations to both Juan Pablo and his daughter Camila on their victory in the parasocial arena this week and now it is time for Pay's case and I to descend into the deepest parts of the pit where we examine our own relationship with our beloved game and how it is drastically affecting every aspect of our lives, consuming our identities, trapping us in the dark circle of pain at the bottom of our own pit. This is... Screams from the Pit! My scream from the pit this week (laughs) involves a friend. I was talking to said friend and she is in the pit and she told me that she has been waiting for her boyfriend to love level four. She told me that he kept love level wanting in various iterations and that she didn't want to love level four until he did, but that she thought maybe his love level ones were implied love level fours. What? I... (laughs) Like that him hitting the love level one so hard over and over. Like maybe he was trying to get a love level four out, but just couldn't. Or maybe he was trying to coax a love level four out of her. Ooh. Maybe he just doesn't want to be the first one to love level four. Well, she doesn't want to be the first one to love level four. <laughs> so level I don't think anyone wants to be it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, setting a series of love level four traps via right. love level ones. And... I just realized, like, I can't even talk to people about their relationships anymore without talking about love levels and PTCs. And she is in the pit, and we are somewhat joking about this, but we're not actually joking about it. It's real. Yeah, because it... It is exactly describing the situation. (laughs) Exactly. It makes sense. It's interesting to me that you're talking about going from love level one to love level four, though, and it brings up something Mm -hmm. in my mind that's like... Are love levels two and three only in the game? Like in real life? I think so. Yeah. It's starting to fall in love with you. Might as well be saying, I'm in love with you. If you use the word love in real life, like that's all one love level in my mind. Yes. So there's, I like you a lot. There's maybe an argument that maybe you might say I'm falling. That's true. But I really do. It did make me think that love levels two and three are game specific. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. You just go one to four. Huh. And maybe you use the tone of a love level two or three for your love level ones. Right. (laughs) Leading up to it as a way to try to trap the partner. Listen, this is incredibly serious to me, but I like you a lot. Something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I like you a lot. I've never been happier. You are so great. Mm -hmm. You're very lovable. Oh, no, you can't say that. Can't say love. She could maybe use (laughs) future casting. I like you so much. I could see us getting married and having children and spending the rest of our lives together. I feel like you might as well be saying <laughs> I know. I'm just saying these are traps that could be I would be accept set. a proposal from you pre-con. 
<laughs> yeah. Listen, I know you just love level one to me, but I'm really looking for either a precog or a love level four. Just fucking all in our weird yeah. code. The guy's just like, what? <gasps> Listen to this podcast and then get back to me. It is a problem. Like, I don't know how it has changed, like, my personal relationships as well. Like, I totally see it's hard to unsee the love levels. I mean, I don't want to toot our own horn here, but the the game uh-huh. that we like, our beloved game, is a proxy for actual dating, a proxy for building relationships, romantic relationships. And we've just identified the components of that, the proxy version of it. So some of it has mm-hmm. to translate to the real version. The, the kind of proxy Walls. structure of that does exist in the real version. Yeah, walls, PTCs, all that shit. Those things are real in actual relationship building. We've just described it with our own language and kind of the, the construct of how to move through that game, when it is best to play these things. Specifically in our beloved game, it's like a 10-round structure and all that shit. In real life, there's no 10-round structure. It's just like you're dating and these things come up at certain points when it feels right and all that kind of shit. So I don't think it's like that crazy to use this terminology to be talking to your friend about the dude she's dating and stuff. It seems crazy. No, I think, but yeah, IRL dating, you have no love level two or three, and you don't really have who doing, I would say. That's another <laughs> one that I think is game specific. <laughs> but you do have circles of pain where you're dating multiple people and they all have to PTC simultaneously in a dark room with Nick Vial. PTCs are definitely real. Walls, chemistry game. Kiss lead-in lines. <laughs> you know what's also not real? Very usually is fantasy suite. I feel like the first, in quotes, overnight date in IRL dating is not like some exotic trip in a nice hotel or whatever. It's usually just like you're at... Maybe in your relationships. <laughs> oh, shit. Sorry. Uh, yeah. it's You know what? We, we have different experiences maybe, but... Loses partners. <laughs> it seems to me more often than not, it's just like at somebody's house. But whatever. I digress. I'm windmill only. Mm, I like that. You took that from the game into your own life. Mm-hmm. You know, you pick up the pieces that are that appeal to you. <laughs> and the windmill was the, the one thing that you're like, I need that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your scream. I hope that your friend reaches whatever love level she's looking for very soon. And I'm glad that you guys can talk about it using the language we've created. It feels silly and crazy. It does. But then it's also like, is it more efficient? Let me ask you that. When you can have this conversation and kind of cut directly to the meaning yes. by just being like, did you LL1? When is the LL4 coming? Yes. Great. I mean, that's another one that, that should be added, DTRing, defining the relationship. Mm. That usually comes between level, level one and four. And that is a part of the game. You'll see a player every once in a while be like, Sometimes. are you my girlfriend? Are you my boyfriend? When they Popeye. call that, I've got a boyfriend now. You know, yeah, exactly. Popeye did it. Well, again, I hope you're unburdened by your scream. I don't, I don't know. I don't consider that one that bad. I think it's actually enhanced your life. <laughs> I mean, you're the most biased person I could possibly. How dare you? Talk to about this, but yeah, okay. <laughs> well, my scream is also a life enhancement. This is nothing bad. In fact, Ooh. it was very good. 
as some of you may know, the computer I was using was on death's door. <laughs> oh, my God. It's another technology one. Oh my, God. Okay. <laughs> my entire life is technology, as are all of our lives Famously, your computer was dying. It was having a lot of different problems. The main one being the battery would hold no charge. And so when we would do our live shows and we would be Zooming, for whatever reason, video conferencing would just suck the fucking battery. I would have two power cords plugged into the computer simultaneously and it would go from 100 to 5% in like 20 minutes, making much of what we do on this show almost impossible to do. So I took it into an Apple store this past weekend and I was like, what can be done? They ran some tests on it and the guy tells me, we can send it in to get this fixed. So I say, let's do that. Now, he says, we need to open it up and take a look. So I open up my laptop. I type in the password and my screen comes up, my Uh-oh. desktop. I'm not organized in my desktop. It is just littered. It's a field of various documents, images, videos, audio clips, almost all related to this show. Because I'm working on this show 24 hours a day. So it's like Bachelor shit is everywhere on my desktop, including some clips from like old seasons or images or whatever. The guy that is helping me sees this Bachelor stuff and goes, oh, are you a fan of The Bachelor? And I, I checked myself. I didn't want to like just immediately yeah, go straight no. to the but Yeah. I wouldn't call it fandom so much as I am intertwined with the game and it is a piece of me now. I did not say that. I said, yeah, I watch it, you know, and uh, do a podcast about it. That's as far as I went. And he's like, oh, that's so cool. What do you think of the season? We start having a little conversation about the current season, which he is also watching. He is a fan. Huh. I deliver a little bit of knowledge in this conversation. I'm like, well, you know, Katie Thurston is the first bachelorette to ever finish in 11th place to finish that low and still be granted bachelorette. And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't know that. You know, he's a, he's a layman, as we might say, but still a fan. Uh-huh. There's levels to this. There are levels. And so we get to a point where he's like, you know what? I'm going to send this in for you. It was going to cost 650 bucks. Click. He touches a button. Zero dollars. So he's sending what? my computer in to get uh, fixed for free. In the meantime, I have bought a new computer <laughs> and I'm planning to return it when my other computer comes back and then wait for the one that I've been waiting for, the M1 chips, which are now supposedly coming out in September. But all of this is to say, the pit helped me get rid of a $650 bill on the fixing of this computer simply because the person saw that I was in the pit. That was it. Didn't even know that the pit exists, but because of my existence in the pit, I get this deep discount. And it's a lesson wow. also in consumer activity. Anytime you're buying something from anyone, there's a button they can press to make it free. You just have to find out what you need to say or do to get them to press that fucking button. <laughs> and in this case, it was just fandom of this show. That's all it took. That is an incredible scream. I love it. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Yeah, I was very happy about it too because it was also like the reason that I got this new computer that's going to hold me over while the other one's getting fixed is like I obviously can't be without a computer. We have to do this show two and a half times a week. We got to do our charts. We got to do like all that shit, you know? Um, so it was like I was getting the computer for the show and the show said 
I'm going to help you here. The pit provides. For real. This is even better than the 30-pound weights. (laughs) Yeah, those cost me money. But that is it. Those are our screams. That is our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us for all the news, all the parasocial plays, our screams, our gains, our state of the world. And we should mention to you that next Monday, we have a very special episode coming out on Patreon. It's our first watch along ever. Wowie! We've recorded our first Love is Blind watch along episode where you will press play on your Netflix at the same time as you press play on our podcast and you'll be able to get our live reactions as you're watching the show. It was super fun to record. We're very excited for you guys to listen to it. And it was just interesting to watch another show through our 2021 Bachelor lens because I can't... (laughs) I watched Love is Blind originally. Some of it, like three or four episodes, I think. I never got through the whole thing. But whenever it came out, like we weren't at the level of the pit that we're at now. And now I'm just like, I see so many elements of it. They unfold before me just automatically now in these reality dating shows in a way that I didn't really have that perspective before. Yeah, I think I watched it in the background during COVID at some point. I couldn't even recall a single character's name. Yeah, it came out right before Listen to Your Heart, right at the beginning of the um, pandemic. Ah, yes. The main demarcation of time before Listen to Your Heart and after. (laughs) That's right. I forgot. (laughs) But thank you once again for joining us this week. And we will be back on Monday with that Patreon episode with our live pregame show on the upcoming episode of The Bachelorette, which is going to have Blake Moines. So we hope you join us for all of that. And before we go, as always, what is the drawback? It has been 7,031 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be our beloved game. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle, 
uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by get this 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, Mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber skincare. Sweaters, candles, the dreaded bathrobe. Unfortunately, Mother's Day gifts can be a little predictable and boring. That's why an Aura Frame is the perfect gift to mix things up this year. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. My mom loves hers. I'm throwing pictures of Skabuli and our cat up there. She's laughing. She's texting me. He's so cute. I wish I could meet him. It's the next best thing to, to meeting my cat, really. You know, I love that it was so easy to set it up. I've recently learned I'm not good at uh, building things and I need an easy install. And this only takes about two minutes to set up the frame using the Aura app. Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected, come with unlimited storage so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. She'll be grateful it's not another sweater and she'll love the frame to see more of you. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com. Use code ROSES at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. If you are a wine lover like myself and you got to have it for your bachelor reviewing parties, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I found the personalized, the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, my Mm. favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want uh, wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing. What's in the box? On every order. Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Roses. 